Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast that combined by overgoings on at Ellen Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Adam Elliott, the 17-year-old central midfielder, deputising at fullback of the pod, continuing right where James Milner left off. And I'm joined today by the experienced fullback, sitting on the bench, watching on as a 17-year-old does better than me at my own job, the future is indeed now, old man. It's Martin Riley. Martin, how are you doing, mate? I'm doing fantastic. I just want to make you aware that, that listeners aware that it was me who did these intros. So I made sure I gave a nice one to, to Adam because I love him. And I gave me the mean one. So I, I'm just really, really a good guy. But yeah, I'm doing good. How, how about you, Adam? How are you doing? Yeah, I'm fantastic, mate. Um, well, I say that. I said last week I think I have COVID. I'm now even more certain that I might, so I might just have to, you know, stay at home. Felt a bit lethargic today, but otherwise I'm all right. I need to I need to do this podcast, so I'm I'm you know pushing through. A bit like Archie Gray had to do in those early months of the season when uh, we were probably overusing him. Indeed, and a, a bit like some of your heroes, um, James Miller. I'm sure he's played on through. Uh, lots of different illnesses and bumps and bruises over the years. Absolutely, <laughs> obviously one of my favourite ever players, James Milner. I won't go into why. Listeners don't need to know. If you know, you know. You know, it's one of those things. Um, but yeah, we're here today to discuss the review of the Bristol City game, which is the last game before the international break, which is fantastic that we won again. Um, I don't think there's any news, but we will talk about that first. If there is anything to talk about before we jump into the podcast, the main bit of it. I think there's just a few injuries to maybe mention, um, but some of the players seem to be okay, and a lot of them might be back after the international break. He talked about the fact that Jane Anthony was carrying something, um, but obviously he didn't start the game. I don't think there was anything major other than that, really. No, I don't think there's anything. Um, yeah, just just Anthony, and then we've got the Lonies returning, hopefully, in the next game after the international break. Including a certain Mr. Jed Spence, and by my reckoning, he should be back around the time of the Leicester game or the Huddersfield game, around that period, so that would be pretty good for us if, if he is. I'll get into the game summary now. Both teams set up in quite a similar shape, with Bristol City matching us in the 43-1. For the opening 10 minutes, the visitors had the majority of possession, with Leeds having to withstand the Robins, occupying our territory and pressing high in the counter-press to keep Farker's side pinned. However, 
Leeds settled into the game and the rest of the half was far more even with Leeds just edging the possession battle and with Leeds also creating the better of the chances in the first half with the deadlock being broken in the 37th minute thanks to a Dan James goal. Leeds went into the second half disappointed however after a Cal Naismith goal from a corner kick in the 49th minute of the first half. The game then continued in the second half in a similar manner with both teams having an even share of possession but with Leeds creating more chances from their possession. Leeds made that count and their territory count in the 53rd minute with Joel Perrault converting with precision home just outside the box into the bottom corner of the goal making the score 2-1. For the rest of the game Leeds continued to look more likely to score mainly in transitional attacking with Bristol City holding more possession and managed to get a decent territory around the Leeds box but despite this they were unable to create any good chances outside of a Byram Byram header off the line late on and the game ended 2-1 to Leeds to give them two wins and lift them to fifth prior to the international break. Well, we'll get straight on into the interrogation, which is where I'll ask a set of questions to Martin, and I'll probably discuss a few of them myself because it's just the two of us today. Um, and most of these are taken from either the Discord or our Twitter or our Patreon. So yes, Bristol City clearly targeted our right-back area with their attacks, anticipating that that might be a weakness with Archie Gray coming in. This didn't end up being the case, and post-match Bristol City's assistant manager, Curtis Fleming, said that he had expected Ampadu to be playing at right-back. Do you think there would have been much difference in the game if Ampadu had played at right-back, Martin? Well, I think there would have been a, a difference in the centre of the pitch, and especially with the way that we were cutting, um, because Ampadu was doing quite a lot um, in our press, and uh, doing things a bit differently to um, the, the way he normally does, but we'll get into that later. Um, but regards to the job that Archie did at right back, I don't think Ampadu could have done it any better, if I'm honest. Um, he was a little bit shaky in the opening 10, 15 minutes maybe, but I think he settled into the game after that point and was very good. Um, I don't think it would have made a massive amount of difference if it was Ampadu right back, but um, I think if, if it was someone else in midfield, and that most likely would have made a pretty big difference. And I just also want to say, what, why would they have thought that Ampadu would be changing position that just seems like silly analysis to me and yeah didn't make much sense for them to think to think that considering that Archie normally plays in that area anyway so it just made sense for him to come in at that, that role to me. I'm essentially in agreement with you I think that if Ampadu had been at right back it wouldn't have made too much of a difference there but more more so midfield Um, obviously he's just been so good centrally that you don't want to move him out of that area that Gray had actually played right back for England U teams a little bit, and I think he has a little bit with our U team as well. Um, so that made more sense to me, um, and I don't really understand why. Yeah, like you say, that Fleming questioned this and and thought it was a strange decision. For me, what made more sense perhaps would have been to think that Ampadu could have played centre back with Byram at right back and Pascal Strauch at left back. I think Strauch would have been perfectly fine as a sort of inverted left back, but. The, the thought of, of Ampadu playing right back made no sense to me. What I did also find quite interesting is that li- literally last week we discussed on this podcast the possibility of um, Gray doing this in a crisis, but I didn't think it would come so soon. It's funny that it's come the exact game after we just kind of discussed it. Um, but he obviously did did more than well there, so I'm I'm very happy. And um, yeah, I I just thought prior to the game I was I was a little bit between whether it was going to be a back four with Ampadu in it or him in midfield but if he had been in, in it I thought he'd be at centre back and I thought to myself no it won't be that will it it will be great at right back and lo and behold it was so we were right in the end yeah exactly it, um, it just um, made perfect sense 
And I think we had a bit of a follow-up on this from James on Twitter. It's, he said that Archie Gray played well and how much did it help him build up having a player that could comfortably invert and step into midfield. So I'll, I'll let you have first on this if you want. Oh, well, thank you. Um, yeah, well, Gray in a lot of games uh, has kind of operated in that half space as a right-back um, or centre midfielder, kind of in between at times, kind of into those spaces, occupying and playing at those sort of angles. Um, so that particular fullback role is probably quite familiar to him because of the positions he's taken up, the angles he's playing out from and all of that. Um, so I don't really, yeah, like that was good because I think it was kind of familiar sort of area and position on the pitch for him, even if he was playing out of position, so to speak. Um, however, have he been playing as more of a high and wide right back or fullback um then that's a different story, in my opinion. And I think if we'd seen him operating really far forward, like we've seen with, well, what we're likely to see with Spence, especially when he comes in, that would have been a bit different. And I'm not necessarily 100% certain that he'd have been perfectly suited um, in that sense to that that kind of position. But yeah, in terms of the, the position he played in this game, it was absolutely fine, wasn't he? And I actually was pretty impressed with him. Um, I think he's, he's shown a lot for his age now. Um, uh, but in terms of his skill set, this, this made... A lot of sense. I don't know what you thought. Yeah, I, I absolutely did think it made perfect sense. Um, Tom Wilson from Focus on Leeds actually had a similar question. I'll read it out quickly. Um, and they said, was it made easier that Archie's role was pretty much the same despite playing a different position? And I think he's hit the nail on the head now. And he pretty much had the exact same role um, than what, what he normally does. And maybe just just the only difference will be um, when he was defending. He will have been stepping slightly back and, and wider to deal with the wingers rather than moving into these central areas like he would do normally. So it's not exactly the same, but in possession it pretty much was. So it, it, it did help in that respect. I felt that he was natural in inverting from that area rather than the other way around, which would be not verting. That, if that's the thing. <laughs> but yeah, I, I felt he, he did it very, very well. He understood his job both in possession and out of possession, but I was especially delighted with how well he did out of possession. Uh, he absolutely gave, was it Bell who was on his side? Yeah, he absolutely made Bell's life hell, <laughs> especially in the, in the second half. I'm not sure if anyone's seen the compilation that I put together of his second half, but uh, if you haven't, give it, give it a look. Um, he just pretty much dominates in every situation. There were a few moments where I think the the guy who was brought on for Bell or maybe the swap side, who was the other winger that they were playing? I think it was name. I can't remember now. No. Anyway, it's okay. Uh, someone someone else was attacking in different moments and they managed to get a couple of crosses in, but no one actually beat him 1v1. Um, he had a 100% success rate for stopping direct dribblers and he finished the game with the most tackles on pitch with eight tackles and nine ball recoveries, which I think was third, I think. But I think it may, maybe Ampadu and Strout maybe maybe got more ball recoveries than he did. But yeah, it, he, he did a fantastic job out of possession, and it just shows the, his maturity beyond his years, how easy he made this look, even though it is, like I mentioned, a similar role, but he just took it in his stride. I think his physical dominance for his age is pretty remarkable as well like I'm not saying he's the the strongest player on the pitch of any means but um he's still quite a tall broad guy for his age and I think he did really well in in sort of you know dealing with them in that sense as well because he can use his frame um yeah I, I'm glad you talked about the out of possession stuff because I yeah I was really really impressed and um, I thought 
yeah, he's clearly an option here if we need it. I wouldn't necessarily want him to start here all the time because I think we have other right backs that we should be using. But it is interesting that he benched Ailing, isn't it? Definitely very interesting. I was surprised by that, to be honest. Yeah, so was I actually before. Well, when we realised he's probably going to be playing right back, I was like, oh, that's an interesting one from Farker because he tended to have at least one of Cooper or Ailing in his back line this season. It's the first time in a league game he hadn't done that. And that meant that Strout was the captain, which was absolutely fantastic for me and you personally because. I know that probably wound up some people, <laughs> but um, it also was interesting because I felt like he was leaning on that a little bit. He always wanted one of those sort of leadership type figures, um, but the fact that he trusted the this kind of younger black line, like if you look at the the ages of them, the oldest being Byron at thirteen, the next oldest being twenty five at Roden, it was a uh, it was very different. As usual, we played quite a lot more experience back there for most games this season. So we finished this game with fifty one percent possession, which surprised me a bit when I saw it, but yeah, it's the third lowest we've had so far. And the lowest from playing at Ellen Roads. However, Bristol City only created 0.5 xG from their possession, probably mostly from the two set pieces that I can think of as well. Um, what were we doing out of possession to prevent them from being more effective with their possession when they had it? Well, there's a bit of a change to the way we was um, enacting our press. I'm not sure if it was more the press or if Ampadu was doing a job man marking one of their players, um, their number eight, forget his name. Um, but I know it's a lot of time he was following him up the pitch and on occasion actually pressing alongside um, Rutner. So he was getting in in those areas and making it difficult for them to get the ball through into different difficult areas and they had to go along over, over it and try to go with switch to play rather than playing through it. And I felt that was a big reason why they weren't effective in their, their session because Reeds were relentless in stopping them from doing what they wanted to do and it just really worked. That, that little change and I do hope that is something which does continue those little tweaks which I'm not sure if that's something which Fart did on purpose uh, if it was very well done because <laughs> it, it, re- it really was effective and I think they are a good ball playing side and to, for us to be able to stop them from creating chances and re- relying only really on set piece threat that's an achievement really and I just want to say more than two the team for doing it because even when they did get the ball around the box the box was defended very well by all people involved, from Byron at left back to Gray at right back, and both the centre backs, and of course um, Amplu as well, doing his fair share of, of protecting the clan as well. So just everyone was winning their duels individually, uh, mostly there's a couple of exceptions, but there was a lot of high, high performance when it comes to duels in this game, which definitely showed, and I think that those are the two main reasons why. We were able to stop them from being effective. Yeah, I largely agree. Um, I thought our intensity was was pretty spot on. Um, obviously, they had a decent amount of possession, but when we needed to go and be more aggressive to win it back, we did. And um, yeah, the, it, it was probably the best. This is more generally talking, but probably the best all round performance I think we've had since the Watford game. Um, what we did between both boxes, in particular, was was really really top draw, um, both in possession and out of possession, um, in my opinion. Um, but we shall move on. Um, you've kind of touched on this, but Ampadu was more involved in the forward press than he usually is. He often pressed, like you said, around the Ruter and, and getting further beyond. Do you think that's going to be a temporary thing, though, or do you think this is going to be something that's going to continue? I think it definitely could be something which could continue because it was so effective and it did really, really instruct them from playing their normal game. It won't be one which will do for every game, but I do think it will be used for teams who are looking to play ball 
So Bristol are a team who do like to play the ball when when they're able to, and I think this could be something which we'll see in games that are coming that are coming up, particularly against Leicester. I really think that is something that could be looked at to, to try to make their midfield a bit disrupted. So that is, is something that I hope to see in those sort of games. And it's, it's possible that that some teams could go around it, but Bristol tried that and it wasn't really that effective because they were good at dealing with the switches of play and when players were isolated, then we did generally deal with that. That could prove a bit trickier if we're against some more blessed wingers in terms of individual skill at beating the man. Uh, so Leicester do have a couple of players to watch out in that respect. So that is something which... I don't think Archie Gray would be able to handle, maybe. But who knows? Um, he's, he's taken on so many challenges so early in his career, so it's possibly something that he would be able to deal with as well. But yeah, I do think it's maybe not, not temporary as such, but one which we'll see come back from time to time in certain games. It's so situational, which is kind of what I was going to say as well, because I think Ampadu is so important in terms of our rest defence and has been throughout the season so far that... I don't want to have him too far forward all the time. I actually felt like not just out of possession, but in possession, he was probably the furthest forward I'd seen him. And he, he got a couple of shots away as well, which we have seen him take shots in other games, but this was like more than usual, I felt. And um, yeah, I don't I don't expect this to happen often, but it maybe is a, a game situation thing and an opposition situation thing um, where he might look to get those high turnovers by pressing further forward more. Um, but yeah, um, he's definitely going to be important when it comes to like, like you kind of touched on there with the the quality sort of wide players or um, even quality attacking midfielders, if they're operating in, in certain areas around our box, you don't want Ampadu being too far forward and having to, to leg it back or whatever. So you, you kind of want him there just in case of those players breaking. And I think he's going to be really, really important. And, and I think especially when Jed Spence comes back into the team and if he's roaming a lot, even if he's got the pace to get back, it might be really important for Ampadu to be supporting him um, in those situations. So it does depend, I think. It's going to depend a lot on, on who we're playing and when. We talked quite a lot about Ampadu there. How did you feel his midfield partner, Glenn Kamara, got on? Obviously, Gray has been utilised more in midfield than the Finns so far, but that may just have been down to fitness issues regarding Kamara's lack of pre-season with Rangers. What did you like about his performance? Everything, really. Um, he was just so tidy on the ball. Was, um, at- yeah, yes, yes, you could say. I wouldn't maybe say super complete, but but yes, it was a complete performance from him. Um, he was pick, picking up the slack from do being further forward, like you mentioned. Uh, so he so they were doing a good job of when one of them was forward, the other one would, would drop back. And I think um, Camera did do the job of staying back well when Ampadu was further forward and taking shots, like you mentioned. And just and on the ball, he was just great. He had the highest pass completion in the side, ninety-one uh, percent. And on top of that, he also had six progressive passes, two passes into the penalty area, two key passes. So he he wasn't playing it safe. He he was getting the ball forward and just generally dictating the play around him. And he was very good at it. And the the, the one player who came to mind was Adam Farshaw. I had to say, he just oozed Farshawness, if that's a word. I think it should be a word. Whenever we get a nice compost midfielder, Farshawness is the new term that I want to bring into Parley. That is uh, something I shall use from now on. I thought, I, I largely agree that he's quite like Farshaw. I think the one thing he definitely has over Farshaw is a bit more athleticism to to carry the ball. It doesn't mean that Farshaw wasn't 
able to do that. But that really struck me again. I think it struck me in nearly every game he's played in now. His press resistance and the, the kind of body rolls. One of the ones he did was was for the first goal as well. Are so good. And um, yeah, he just looks after the ball so nicely. Um, probably shows his experience a little bit. Um, but yeah, his, his tempo passing, you know, the weight, the timing of the release, the moving it into spaces. And then he would go and move himself into a space to receive if needed. Um, consistently was doing that and showing for it, not shying away from it at all. He did this a lot. He was knitting things together really, really nicely in the final third. And the player, I don't really want to like go after another player, but something it reminded me of about last season was the lack of this in some of our midfielders. Um, I was thinking about Brendan Aronson a lot here and how he really maybe did quite a lot of things well, but he wouldn't look after the ball very well at all, where he should have been able to put his body, if he's not strong enough to look after it, then he's put his body in between the ball and the man more consistently so that he's drawing fouls. Didn't do that often enough for my liking. Um, and then the timing of release and the the sort of weight of pass and uh, sort of knowing when to, you know, if you need to pass it quickly or, or you need to hold on to it for a second longer and then pass it more slowly. He was really not good at that, whereas Kamara, I think he epitomised this in this game. Um We've had other good performances from him. I think this was the best one so far, which is why I wanted to talk about it a little bit. But yeah, just the interpretation of, of space, the timing of all of his actions was just really good. But then, like you've mentioned with the out-of-possession stuff, the sort of re- recovering and, and even just staying back um, while Ampadu was getting forward was was really solid from him. Um, and there was also just one really meaty tackle to get the Dars on side when in the first half he, he flew into one and won the ball and it was, it was like a big one. Yeah, like the crowd really got you know, going from it. So if he's got that as well, then yeah, you could certainly say it's just quite a complete performance. And and he got an assist, you know, obviously it wasn't the, the best assist in the world they'll ever get, but you know, he got an assist for Perot, which was obviously nice to see as well. Um so yeah, I was I was delighted with him. I thought he was he was brilliant. And yet I wouldn't even say he was probably in our top three performers on the day. He was still really, really good. And I like him a lot and for five million pounds I hope we start to see him more. Um the one thing I would say is I think it's probably quite likely that he um, starts more than Gray in midfield if he plays like this. I, I love a lot of Gray, but uh, there's certain areas of his game that he just doesn't have at the level of Kamara. And again, I think it's just an experience thing. So Gray ceiling might be higher, but right now Kamara is probably the better player. Should should play more on the minutes when we need him to. Um, and yeah, I was delighted, like I say. Um, anyway, we also had a question from Will in the Discord regarding pressing he wanted to talk about bristol city and how they pressed um he said that they pressed how did it just differ from southampton um why was it so much less effective against us i wonder what thoughts you had on that well first of all i think there was something made of um uh, their pressing in the opening 10 minutes and i don't think the reason why they they dominated possession in those opening 10 minutes was down to their press I felt in the open 10 minutes we were just a little bit sloppy and we were giving the ball away um to them when we were attacking which led them to have spells of possession, but um, it wasn't wasn't really too much they had in in that time. I think that, well, maybe one shot. I think I think I think if I, if I remember that correctly. Um, but I don't think there was anything real special that they were doing pressing wise. Um, there were moments where they had a couple of men around our box, but it wasn't as intense as what Southampton's was. Southampton had two strikers who were pressing quite aggressively. Um, third strikers, so it was like a split um strike pair with. Um, Alcaraz, who was the attacking midfielder who was pressing behind them. So they had three players who were pressing quite aggressively across our back line. And then on top of that, they, they also had two midfielders who were stepping up. So there was, there was a lot more pressure on both the defence and the midfield in the Southampton game. 
and whereas this press from Bristol wasn't as intense, it was more of a mid-block with two strikers pressing than a full concerted high press. So while it looked like at times there were bodies around our defence, it wasn't as strong as what Southampton's was, and it was just you could tell the difference, basically. It could be player quality, physicality of the players who Southampton have, because I know they've got a few players in that lineup who are quite intense and quite quick as well. They had um, Tulamana and they had Armstrong, both were known for their pace, and Alcarez, who I didn't know was quick, also was quite quick in that game. So they had three players who were intense and quick in their pressing actions. And yeah, so that's my explanation for that one. I hope that was good, good for you, Will. I'm going to ever so slightly disagree and said I liked quite a lot of their counter-pressing. Well, obviously, I didn't like it. It was giving us problems, but I thought I did feel like as they were putting a lot of pressure on, on our touches um, in smaller groups rather than like a concerted effort. Um, and that was why you said, you sort of said like we weren't, we've been sloppy and we weren't playing out properly. I thought, I felt like that was why, um, because they weren't just giving us enough time. Um, but eventually we, we started to play around it and it settled down a bit and they didn't really press consistently after that period and so the even though they had a decent amount of possession after that it, they didn't really go after us as, as intensely um from that moment onwards um which was a little bit strange for me because you've just touched on it there with Southampton but also the second half against QPR was kind of the blueprint for me of like not making us look comfortable and and they, they probably should have done that more consistently through the game and I don't know why they just dropped off it was a bit of a strange one but as soon as we found a way out it kind of stayed like that and we we were able to keep the ball a bit better and get it through the thirds a bit better and and you know create more so that was that was a strange one because Southampton and QPR literally in the space of a week have given us some issues and Bristol City should have probably you know made more of it from after the 10th 15th minute onwards than they did um I felt like they did a little bit towards the end but I think that was just the state of the game at that point and they um, obviously needed to to chase it back and and so they were like in our third a little bit more not that they were creating particularly much but in that last 10 minutes they were starting to go for it a little bit more but again it wasn't really to do with their pressing I think it was just that they were they were just trying to create stuff where they could and but we're, we're struggling because our defense was pretty solid again um so yeah um I, th- I felt like they were they were pressing decently for 10 minutes but after that not so much and I don't really understand why <laughs> I didn't really work that out on the on the rewatch um but one player that was particularly good for us when we did have the ball and we weren't getting pressed so intensely was Crescencio Somerville and I feel like you should talk about this a little bit because you were the one who picked out these stats if you'd like to have a little read of those but yeah he he played pretty well again to go on. Yeah so yeah Somerville was involved in this game more than any of our attackers um, ending the game with the most progressive passes, the most progressive carries, um, the most XG assisted and most carries into the penalty area. it's, it was really a fantastic all-around display, um, and it's, it was a shame that he didn't get a goal to cap it off, or or or, or, or an assist. Um, although technical, I think the final touch was his. He stole that one from Ruta, hundred <laughs> percent. Well, fair, fair, fair play. He his game did deserve at least some goal contribution, and Ruta will have still got the shot creating action for that. And either way, so it's fine. Um, but yeah, I, he had a fantastic game. He was. His actions were great. He was dropping deep into areas when he needed to and giving assistance in the build-up. And his passes through the lines were, were great as well. And just the way he would find space as well to get shots and taking up spaces which Ruto has, has abandoned. They've got a really good, good understanding of each other, I feel. And they've got a great chemistry as to where each of us each of them is going to move and when. And I, I also felt in this game there was 
maybe more signs of concerted attacking patterns coming into play. Uh, there was one particular moment, I think, about halfway through the first half, um, where Byram and Somerville were playing a few little one-twos, just teasing it around a, a little bit. But then after one, uh, at this point, Somerville was wide and Byram was inverted. And at that, then after one of the one-twos, Somerville bursts forward up, up the wing and Byron passes the ball forward to Ruter, who then lays it off Sunville, moving into the space, and he was just in acres of space, and it was just a fantastic move. And I think the sort of attacking patterns, which are the, the practice in, in training, are starting to get more fluid and more noticeable. And so, yeah, I just, I know the big part of this is the understanding which Sunville and Ruter have together. They seem to have developed a really good partnership and know when to, what each other's going to do and, and how to best make make that effective in attacking the opposition so yeah i just really enjoyed some girls game it was really good yeah it, it didn't actually like stand out to me as much until the rewatch just where he was taking up the, the ball and the positions that he was taking it up in and like he did he do he was wide sometimes but it just struck me so much how central he was at, at times um and yeah I was again, like you say, quite impressed with him. The only thing that I would say that let him down a little bit was that that final action a little bit. I think even though he put up some excellent numbers, still think some of his decision making is a little bit off in the final third. Um, but he's twenty one, and I I think he's probably, I mean, non toes as well. But like them two, definitely our most talented wingers, and probably two of the top three or four most talented players in the squad in general. Um, and so many of his actions are just beautiful now and like he just seems to glide with the ball and it's just if he can nail that timing of release a little bit better he's better than like I've just talked talked about Aronson he's definitely better than him at this but it's still not quite there he still needs to have a little bit more refinement but give it a few years and I think he'll be looking at a really really top winger certainly shouldn't be playing in the championship but this is the thing with with relegation and and players like him I think he's one one of the biggest beneficiaries of it because he's just going to get a full season like this um if he stays fit of, of honing this and becoming even better and I guess the question is 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 this guy like our most Buendia like player in the squad for Daniel Farker I don't know what you thought about that yeah I'd, I, I would agree I think that's what we're trying to mold him into and um, obviously before this season I wouldn't have said that Somerville is a Buendia type player I wouldn't I would have said that he's more of a, of a that counter-attacking, direct dribbling threat than what Brendier was, but he's really develop, developing aspects of his game to make make himself more rounded, and I think that has to be to do with the way he's been trained and encouraged to do different things with the ball, and it's, I agree entirely that this year in Championship, uh, just dominating is going to do him a world of good and I do think that his timing of release and decision-making in general has improved compared to what it was earlier in the season. And I think it will continue to improve. It's sort of mad that he's on 21. It just, he doesn't feel like he's 21 anymore. Do, do you understand me? Yeah, he's been around for ages with us. Yeah, he doesn't feel like it at all. And I'm very much hoping that he will continue and become that Wendia player. But Wendia, we've included last line runs, which is insane. Yeah, um, the, the only thing I would say is I still think Wendia is a, a level above in terms of his playmaking ability. It doesn't mean that Somerville can't be one of the better players in our squad at, at that kind of side of things. And I think he's, he's becoming it. Like he de- definitely played a few really nice line breaking passes in this game, but he won't ever get to that level. I don't think 
because Buendia is just so good. But, but yeah, like you just said, he has the other threat of he has more pace. He can definitely play on the last line. He can definitely play high and wide if you want him to. So if he's becoming this more, more well-rounded attacking player that can play on the right, on the left, through the middle, if he can operate in those different areas, depending on... Uh, sorry, irrespective of what position he starts. So if he's playing right wing and he, he's inverting and he's playing left wing, he's inverting, it doesn't matter, then great because the positions he takes up are so good and he can be so threatening. I felt like in some games this season, some of our wingers have kind of gone running down blind alleys or running into spaces where they perhaps shouldn't. Um, but he was one who his decision-making just seems to be getting better by the game and he's not doing that as much. And he's knowing like, oh, I need to drop this ball off or I need to to sort of release it now and then I need to make myself in a better position or whatever. So, yeah, definitely something that's that's improving by the game. Um, I think while we're on the topic of, of wingers, we should probably talk about Dan James, actually. Um, we had a question from one of our own, Tom Hostikundal. Um, He said, is it time we start to discuss or praise Dan James's ability at taking up good positions? The frustrating thing is obviously the technical ability that is lacking in these positions. But we're seeing more frequently the ball falling to him in good areas. I don't know what you felt about that, obviously, while we're on the discussion of, of wingers. So, obviously, he was the other one, and he scored in this game. So, what did you think of his performance? There's one final thing I want to say on Somerville, but comparing him to Buendia, I'd have just quickly, while you were talking there, had a look over um, Buendia's numbers from the first of the season he really broke through for Norwich. And in that, in that season, I think he finished with something like 15 assists, um, but his underlines he had 0.25 expected assists per 90 and currently Somerville is sitting at 0.3 so he's actually on, on the baselines giving up more expected assists than what Wendia was that's just the raw numbers yeah yeah but it does aren't being finished off at the same rate as what Wendia's were um Wendia was having 0.41 Assist, no, wait, sorry, not point three eight, not point three eight assists per ninety, whereas Somerville only has not point two eight. So as uh, when does numbers start matching each other up, and he'll start bagging more assists, and I do think the creativity will have more direct contribution. If you know what I mean? Yes, I do. But yeah, but, but now move on to that Dan James. Now I apologise. No, it's okay. It was talking about where we're seeing the ball more frequently fall into him in good spaces and. I'm wondering if his ability, his one of his best abilities, is just taking up good positions. I don't know what you felt about that. Yeah, that, that's a it's a great point by by Hofstie. Um, wouldn't be surprised. He's a he's a clever clever look. But yes, he has been taking up good positions and really taking advantage of the space which is being left behind by Ruter and just finding finding good areas where he can occupy inside the box. And then just with with this one, the ball just dropped to him and he just slotted it in nicely. And those are the sort of things that I would like him to do more is try to find positions in the box where he can have shots because I think his finishing inside the box is pretty good. That's one part of his game which I would say good. But it, the, still the often frustrating shot from the edge of the box which he does need to cut from his game. And considering his age, I don't think that's something which is going to go away. Um, that seems like a trait which is built into the way he is. So we have to take the rough with this move with James. He will, he will get goals he will get assists at this level and a lot of that is to do with the pace that he's got naturally to his game it just helps you out so much at this level um but yeah i will give him credit he had a good game here and especially out of possession he was very good in this game really putting pressure on on their fullback and moving on to their 
left side of centre-back as well. He was doing really well and was just everywhere. And one part of his game, which you can, can't say slight on because his out-possession game is top. I think with him, it's all about simplifying it and simplifying what his role is and what he's got to do. If he's able to occupy in a high and wide role on the right when he receives the ball, that's fine. That's good. He's good at that. He can do that. Um, as for the goal, that was which wasn't a high on my position, but out of possession, he can kind of take up other positions if he has to. And if he sees a moment where he can get into the box to score, great. And that's fine. Again, if the game is in front of him and he can see what he has to do, I think he's better than if he's trying to run into sort of alleyways. And again, I think there was a couple of times in the game where he turned over the wall um, a little bit frustratingly uh, in an area where I felt like he just needed to pass it on and it would have been better for him. But there were still times when he was picking up positions receiving the ball where he can literally just either run towards his fullback or run towards the box with a bit of space to hit and that is so much better for him to do um so in terms of in possession yeah Hosty's right you just need to kind of simplify it tell him what positions he needs to take up and if he does that he's pretty effective as he was here um and I was happy with him particularly in the first half and I, th- I felt like he was playing pretty well and he probably deserved a goal in the second half a little less so but in the first half he 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 was pretty good again. So, and every time I seem to doubt him, he seems to come up with the goods. So happy for him, and hope it continues well into the season. Um, speaking of individuals, we'll stay on the topic, which is takes me to a question from Neil in the Discord about Joel Perot. Um, he said, "Is Perot not striking a good number of shots at full power a good or a bad thing? And why does he do this?" I wonder what you thought about that. Yeah, it's an interesting point, point from Neil, and it is something which I noticed when I was scouting him initially for um, our scouting pods of, over the summer. Um, it's the fact that he varies his finishing as to how he's looking to hit the ball, and he, he generally seems to have a really good idea of when what sort of finish is required. And the finish from this game, which was just perfect finish right in the bottom corner, um, he, he didn't need to hit it with power. He needed, he, he needed accuracy. And he knew that. And those shots from the edge of the box are his bread and butter, like Farker mentioned in his lovely, lovely press conference about uh, about Perot, that if, if he hits from the edge of the box, ne- often the next touch is from the halfway line, meaning not a goal for him to go. Um, yeah, and he's very good at those. And he knows when he needs to hit it with precision, and he knows when he needs to hit it with power, and when he should do both. And he's, he's sent probably the... Maybe not the maybe the best finisher in this league. Maybe close between him and Adam Armstrong, I think. Um, but yeah, he's definitely up there. He's in the league for finishing, and I wouldn't quite say. I'm not sure who who her saw someone comparing to Harry Kane, and I wouldn't quite go that far. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's fantastic at it, and it's definitely something that he does do intentionally and when he decides to do what and what thing. And also, the one thing I wanted to say about Bro in general was that I think. Between him, him and Dan James had a really good partnership in this game, and they were they were combining each, with each other quite well and doing nice little one one two movements, and I think that that was very good. It's good to, to have these little partnerships forming all over the park. So you've got Somerville and Rutter on one side, and then you had Perot and James on the other, and yeah, it's it's just great to see. And I thought Perot had a really good game, and not just because of the goal, he was. Being more decisive and when he was releasing the ball and moving on quicker and not spending as much time on the ball, which I think must be something which Farker has told him because in the last game that was something which he was guilty of was holding on to it a little bit too long, thinking he had more time than what he did, which meant the ball was lost. 
but in the game he was a lot more precise with when to put it on and move the ball on quickly so we can keep attacking and I felt like he just had a really good game and the goal was just the cherry on top. The goal was indeed the cherry on top because of the narrative this week, the discourse around him and the fact that Farka had to do that in the press conference and where Perot is going to get most of his goals this season are either in that position on the edge of the box which we haven't actually seen this season so far that's the first time he's done that or it's like it's moving into the box from that sort of area on the blind side of defenders which we've definitely seen a few times this season so I was delighted that he managed to score one of that type because it meant that quite a few people probably were like oh right yeah Farka does know what he's on about then with him because he he certainly yeah he certainly is good in those those areas um the goal itself I think in terms of accuracy, yeah, it's it's pretty much exactly how he wanted to hit it. I think he he probably did want a bit more sh- power on that. I don't think he's hit it quite as cleanly as he probably wanted to. I think even though you're right, he does have this array of finishing where he sometimes really leathers it. Sometimes he he can barely vary it up, like in terms of the kind of shot, whether it's through his laces or or using his foot to wrap the, around the ball or whatever. He he has this really wide variety um of and repertoire of, of shots. But I do think he meant to hit this one a bit harder because I think the keeper gets a bit close to this than, than he would have liked. I think he would have liked to have just, just got it beyond him a bit quicker. But other than that it was a it was a decent shot that he meant to put in that corner. Um but yeah you're completely right. I think his all round performance was a little bit better in this game. Um I think his he's taken up a lot of good positions in games already this season, but hasn't always received the ball. In this game he was not only taking up the good positions, but like you mentioned with Dan James finding him quite a bit and midfielders also kind of giving him the ball a little bit more um, But in the sort of second and third phase. Um, his receiving positions were, were really good and he uh, he was kind of knitting things together a bit better himself, not not just relying on the wingers and the central midfielders to do that, which was nice. Um, so being found more and being in those positions even more regularly was was nice. But yeah, you, you nailed it with the, I was going to say the speed of his passing was, was a little bit better as well. Um, um, it just didn't look as, as delayed and sometimes he takes a moment and it almost it's like, oh, maybe he's thinking about having a shot or something or, or thinking about his next action before he actually receives the ball. But in this game, he's moving it that bit quicker that it just felt like a better all-round performance from him. Um, and I'm glad he scored because of, like I say, the stuff that was talked about this week. So good on him and good on him for getting the winner. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We'll talk about his strike partner next, which is Giorgio Ruter, who will have gained a bit of criticism for that miss that we don't need to really labor on. But outside of that, I do think that he was our best player on the day. Um, I thought his link-up play... His hold up play and his running, like not just 
laterally towards the flanks, which he does quite a bit, but also running beyond the last line again quite a bit was really, really good. And it just seems to me that he's coming together quite nicely as a quite varied striker that's going to drop deep at times, he's going to drop wide at times, and he's going to run beyond at times. And and he's also going to hold up the ball when needs be as well. Um, in, and yeah, in spite of him only scoring twice this season, I feel like he's he's really coming into his own in this team um, as a striker. And I was I was really happy with him again. I don't know if you wanted to add anything on his performance, Martin. Do I want to talk about Jorginho Rutter? Oh, oh, do I? Um, both me and Dan will have pretty big grins on our face about the way. Um, He's been playing recently. I know that most of the, the people in Malstats are fans of Ruter, but I think me and Dan have been more vociferous than some. Um, but yeah, he that miss. I, I don't. I, I don't want to talk about that miss just brief, just briefly. Um, and I felt like he probably didn't get as as much criticism as I was expecting. Um, there will be the odds one who will give criticism for those misses, of course, because it was a bad miss. There's no shortcut in that. Um, but still felt that a lot of people were appreciating his, his overall play as well as that. So it, it, they, it sort of softened the blow to a lot of people, I think. And that's exactly the way I felt. He didn't let, he didn't dwell on the miss as well, which I think is a very important thing for strikers to do. They get, they get caught up in their own head thinking, oh, I should have scored that, I should have scored that. And then they try too hard for the rest of the game. But that absolutely wasn't what he was doing. He wasn't taking shots from distance like you sometimes see strikers do when they miss a big chance like that. He was using his physicality really well. And turning turning players, putting them for the ball, using his pace to get beyond them after he's after he's muffled them, and just generally being a massive nuisance to all of the opposition's defenders. He was very enough where he was going to run. It's one moment he'll pop up wide and give him fullback nightmares. Next moment he's central and run beyond. And yeah, he's just really developing into an all round complete forward. I think it's um. <laughs> I say that because that's the role on Football Manager. I'm a big fan of Football Manager and not aware what I would play him as. And the thing I would say um, is that I felt like, yes, he probably had enough qualities and attributes that could make him a lone striker in certain teams. And when he came into the team at the time in the Premier League, I just didn't think he was the right profile because he needed quite a bit of honing of his skills to do it. But again, the Championships are a really good breeding ground to do this. At the same time... Um, I would be interested to see how he would deal in the Premier League when we have less of the ball. I think what's help, helping him at the moment is how dominant we've been in most games in terms of possession. Um, obviously, we weren't as dominant here as other games, but we still had a, a fair amount. And I think that is that is helping him in terms of because he's having to do more sort of when we have the ball, where he's moving and where he's running, where he's receiving. When we don't have it, it's going to be a bit more of an issue in terms of his hold up play and when we need to go long to him. But I think if you give him another four, five, six months, it's going to be even better than it already is. So I think he could be it in, in the Premier League. The reason I wanted to talk about him is because although he's not the same at all as, as Temu Puki, um, we talked about Buendia being a little bit Somerville-like, but there are some similarities with the, especially the lateral running and the constant moving um, and the linking of play that's kind of Puki and the carrying as well. The thing that he has over Puki, which Puki didn't really have, is um, probably a little bit more raw speed and power to get in behind but also um a little bit better with his footwork and his dribbling ability he's probably a bit more two-footed as well um and yeah although he's not going to be at the same level of finishing as a player like Pookie he has other things that Pookie doesn't have which Farker's maybe really appreciating and Farker has had this knack of of sort of 
developing strikers. Puki in his career had been fairly prolific in Scandinavia, but had never really been outside of there. Um, you look at someone like Taram at Mönchengladbach and um, how he was mostly playing as a left forward and now he's a number nine and person that kind of honed him into that most was Daniel Farker uh, and now he's playing into Milan and he's playing really well as a striker again um, so yeah I, I just think he's got a bit of a knack for it and maybe we're seeing it again um, he clearly is developing and at a, a really fast rate and yeah I really like a lot of his game and I think like I said there's things that he has over Pookie that maybe make him a threat in other ways that, that Pookie didn't have um, so that's really really good um, and yes I Hope that it continues. The question I had, though, which is one I have a few stats for, um, is do you think he's going to be scoring or assisting more goals this season, in your opinion? I think he'll be close. I think the numbers may end up being quite even um, by one or two goals or one or two assists, whichever one takes over. I don't really want to admit to which one because it could be either. Um, he's, I think he's just performing slightly below his XG at the moment. But obviously, we're still only a little bit into the season. And he he did think I think in his first season um, in Germany he did finish slightly ahead of his XG if my memory recalls correctly. But then he but then he finished below in the in the following season. So the way XG works out is often more based on long term trends rather than short term. So I don't think there's too much we can read to his finishing just yet. But, and I don't think he will be as good of a striker as Timu Kuke because he is probably one of the best strikers the championship have seen, and he was clinical, and he did it over a number of years, and I don't think he is that sort of striker, but he will also, like we said, as this question, he will also pick up assists as well, and I believe he's got the, the most big chances created so far in the league, and he's also up there as well in the 99th percentile for um, shot-creating actions and XG-assisted, I think. Um, one of those could be slightly wrong, but it's definitely in the 90, 90 percentiles. So yeah, it's going to be very close. But I would, if I had to put money, money on it, I would go assists just by a couple of assists. I too would go with assists. As much as I've just kind of compared him to Puki, the, the thing that sets them apart is the finishing. That's where he's probably going to be let down a little bit this season. Not that he, I don't think he'll score a good amount of goals, but I think he's going to get more assists. There was someone that I can't remember who it was. Sorry, I'd forgive me. Someone hosted on Twitter the number of um, chances created, but big chances created in uh, championship matches in the promotion season for us, the 2019-20 season in the whole division. And Ruter is already about halfway to who, I can't remember who it was again, now who was top, I think he might have actually been, oh, I can't remember. No, I can't remember. Um, but basically, yeah, he's he's basically halfway to what they did for the whole season. So he's on well on the way, if he stays fit to absolutely demolishing that record. And for that reason, I think he's going to get more assists. He probably deserved one in this game. Somerville got a little flick to it before James put it in. Um, and there were a few other moments, again, where he put in a cross for, again, it was Somerville um, in the second half. And Somerville, just if he was a little bit taller or if he'd stretched a little bit further, he probably would have got his studs on it and put it in. As it was, he only got a, a small touch to it, and it went wide. Uh, so I just think he's gonna he's gonna come up with moments like that constantly, where he he's so good at rolling a player, um, and then kind of dragging himself out wide with the ball and and flashing balls across for that chance and for the first goal. He did that in both occasions, so that's why I think he might get slightly more assists. But I'm not 100 percent on that. Like you say, I think it might be quite close, but it just seems that that's the way he's going. He's he's a really creative forward, which is I think why a lot of fans want to see him in pro swapped, but 
why would you why would you do that when both of them are playing well, the exactly. way they are now? It doesn't matter. The last question we have to discuss is a bit of a broader question because we're now going to the international break with consecutive wins and have only lost once in our last nine league games. What do we need to work on during the international break to continue this and build a platform to challenge for automatic promotion, in your opinion? Tough question is this, because I think we have nailed a lot of things recently with which were going wrong for us, especially maybe a month ago. I probably would have said nailing the rest defence, but I think that problem has already been fixed. We're stopping teams from creating a lot of XG, and I think we've conceded the least XG um, at home than any other team in the league. So we're, we're really turning Ellen Road into a fortress, as Daniel Farker would say. That's what he wants. Um, yeah, that's what all of us want is to not lose out Ellen Road or at home. Most of all fans want that. Um, I do think the main thing is just work on is just consistency in performances. I know that's quite a broad thing to work on, but it's just generally making more of the dominance that we've had. We should really have scored a lot more goals in this game and in the game previous. Um, we should have, should have, and even against Southampton, we should have scored more more than what we did. So I think it's generally in getting that cohesiveness that we've seen in defence to be there all the time for the attack and try to work out how we can get grow even more involved with goals. I think that's something we they could work on finding him more f- frequently because, like you mentioned earlier, it has been something which the team has struggled to do is find where Grow is and spot him when he's making these runs. That's something we need to work on, I think. Yep, I can't really add too much more to that. I just want to talk a bit more generally in terms of the league and the league table. Um, the two front runners are absolutely flying at the moment. Uh, that's Leicester with 10 wins in 11 games and Ipswich, who are obviously just promoted out of League One into the Championship with nine wins, one draw, and one defeat, which came against us. Um, and how it's not sustainable that they're going to stay on that kind of points per game record it's pretty remarkable as it stands and every team in this league goes through a little dip the team for me that we should be looking at in a longer term sort of thing is is Ipswich 100% Leicester have kind of started the season where I felt like they were playing not all that well in every game but they had enough individual quality they probably do have the best squad in the league we probably second but they're probably first um but they were they're putting together kind of games where when I was playing great, it wasn't always perfect with Mareska. Probably himself, a bit like Farker, betting his ideas down and it taking a bit of time to implement, um, where individuals were digging them out and they were winning games more through individual quality than the actual quality of their performances. Whereas now I think that isn't necessarily true. And I think the individuals are still playing well, but their performances are, as a team, a little bit better, more cohesive, cohesive uh, a bit more put together. And so I do think they're more likely to continue this and sustain this because basically I'm now seeing performance levels that are good and they have the depth to match where, you know, if they get injuries in key areas to key players, three or four key players go out, you look at their bench, it's absolutely ridiculous and I feel like they've got the squad that can deal with a a full season of this with injuries. Um, Whereas Ipswich, probably not so much. Obviously, they've had this coach, Kieran McKenna, for a long time now, playing really well, Um, really, really well. They were one of the best League One teams that I've ever seen Um, and rightly got promoted and it's translated really well into the championship and having that consistency and that coherency from one season to another is really important as we're seeing with them whereas we've had to take a bit of time to get up to speed but the thing with Ipswich is that I look at some of their key players and I think if they're injured what is the depth like behind it and it's not as not as good for them and maybe in some areas it's fine but in others not so much so it does feel to me like 
if we just keep doing our thing. Can't worry about other teams too much, but you'd hope that maybe an injury or two for them would sort of see them go on a small run where the gap might close up a little bit more. But but the important thing I wanted to talk about is um, the first three games of the season, we drew to Cardiff, we lost to Birmingham, and we drew to West Brom. Since then, we have won, what is it? I can't even think for now. Five wins, three draws, one defeat, I think it is. Um which is promotion form, if we can do that over the course of the season. And I have more cause to feel like that now. I think that, like you said, the attacking performances in the final third seem to be coming together. The defence looks really good. We don't generally concede more than zero or one goal every game at the moment. It's it's rarely happened, um, apart from Southampton and Ipswich, really, in the in the last eight or nine games. So um, it's it's just it feels to me like we are a team that should be very competitive at the top end. And I'm, by that, I mean in the top two or three teams and in the last eight league games the table reads 21 points for Leicester 19 points trips which and 17 points for Leeds so we would be right in the mix if those first three games hadn't happened the way they had and that was a period of time where I think a lot of us know we didn't have the squad that was quite there yet we had a lot of uncertainty around certain players like Sinister and Nonto pulling out of a game at the last second you know when that wasn't really something we legislated for we weren't planning for that um other things going wrong and then in the last week of the window alone we signed players like Jed Spence, Joel Perot, uh, Glenn Kamara, Ilya Gruev, I might be missing someone, we signed real quality so we have that now um, and we have the squad now that I think could be capable. So I think that there's a lot of reasons now to feel like this more recent run is more likely to be what it looks like for the course of the season and um, and that the both the in and out of possession stuff is coming together. More the in possession, I think, than the out of possession. I think we could do a little bit more in the final third out of possession. I think we're, we're fine in our own third. Probably need to, to tighten up a little bit more with our high press. I think it was all right in this game. Definitely good against Watford. Maybe need to see a bit more of that, um, especially in home games where we need to go after the ball a bit more. But, but general levels of performance are improving and I think we can certainly not feel like that the top two aren't catchable, in my opinion. So I just wanted to say that. Is there anything you want to add there? Yeah, there was. Um, I was just looking over the league table um, while he was talking there, and uh, something I noticed was that Ipswich are running a little bit hot in terms of XG of performance. Um, they've created 19.9 XG and have scored um, 25 goals. So they're roughly five goals over what they should have scored so far. And all the other teams... Uh, generally within expectations we're a little bit low on our, our XG we've created 18.4 and have scored 17 goals so we're slightly behind Leicester have created 20.4 XG and are on 23 goals scored so a slight performance there from them but the biggest performer is Ipswich in the final sorry, top 4 or 5 teams so that is something that I would feel probably will regress but they do have a number of players, speaking of Chaplin and Broadhead, who can score goals. So it's not guaranteed to regress. Um, you have teams who do finish above XG quite often in this league, especially, I think, Norwich, when Farker won the leagues, Pukki was demolishing his XG, and they finished with an performance. I can't remember how much. But yeah, so it's something to keep an eye on is Ipswich and if, if they will regress to the mean, as is the term. Yeah, which certainly... Could be something that could happen. Um, and yeah, we play Leicester in four games' time, so it would be very interesting if they drop any points between now and then um, and to see if we could you know, really close that gap up if we win a few and then beat them at their ground. But anyway, that brings us to the end of this podcast. Um, obviously, we have a little international break now. So um, 
what should our listeners be looking forward to in the meantime, Martin? I think you have some stuff in the works with some of the other guys. Yeah, well, there's going to be a special bonus podcast for our Bloodlords here patrons, um, which is a Q&A pod. Um, we've been getting people sending questions on the Discord and on Patreon. And yeah, so it's going to be a lot of fun as that. We're just going to ask a, lot, a bunch of questions. There's loads of questions, questions have come in. And we're just trying to weedle out <laughs> now. Unfortunately, all, all the questions won't make the cut. Aww. Uh, yeah, we'll just ignore your questions, Adam. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> some of them rightly being ignored. Some of them maybe not so much. But yes, um, if that is something any of you would be interested in, um, then you should go ahead and look at our Patreon because we will be putting out content like that throughout the season. Um, Patreon is a platform in which you can show support to creators you enjoy and receive bonus content in return. Um, we put out Patreon-only podcasts and analysis articles, which I think are also in the works. I think Tom's thinking about doing one as well. Potentially, yeah. I wouldn't say he'd want us to say that he's definitely after him, but he's... Oh, no, I'm making sure he does it now. <laughs> <laughs> and our patrons will also get all our podcasts, like this one, ad-free, plus early access to our preview pods. So if you are interested in any of that, or the Q&A that is upcoming this week, and you don't want to miss out, because obviously it's going to be a bit of a lull with international break then please do head on over to, and sign up to our patreon at patreon.com forward slash asaw patreon uh yeah and any any um people that want to do that it is greatly appreciated because yeah it really does help us out it means we can put out more content throughout the season but yeah all that's left to me to say is thank you to martin and thank you to adam and thank you dear listeners and enjoy some of your time off from Leeds united and we'll see you next time Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,